The parish likes to, to look at kind of the bigger picture. A priest is an altar priest. They just go, go, go. In the zeal full of Jesus Christ. There is compassion for poor people. And it has this beautiful historic church. Heaven coming down to earth. Thanks be to God. From the Rome of the West, this is the Catholic Gateway Podcast. Your audio gateway into the Archdiocese of St. Louis. On each episode of the Catholic Gateway Podcast, we'll tell the stories about the interesting people, places, and events that make up the Archdiocese of St. Louis. We'll also give an update on Catholic news, courtesy of the reporters from the St. Louis Review and Catholic St. Louis Magazine, the official publications of the Archdiocese of St. Louis. So with trust in the Holy Spirit, let's begin. When you tell people you work for the Archdiocese of St. Louis, the first question they ask in response is, oh, so do you work down by the cathedral? Well, for most of us, that answer is no. This can create headaches from time to time, like when you're expecting someone to arrive at your office for a meeting or a delivery, and they go to the cathedral instead. And yes, that's happened. But for employees of the Catholic Charities of St. Louis Central Office, as of August 1st, 2016, that answer is now yes. They do work down by the cathedral. On Thursday, September 29th, a dedication ceremony was held to officially open the new location. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us today. And welcome to our Catholic Charities Federation new office. I'm Teresa Rizika. Welcome to another episode of the Catholic Gateway Podcast. I'm Gabe Jones. If you're not a St. Louisan or just unfamiliar with where the Cathedral Basilica of St. Louis is, the reason we so often get asked where we work is because at 4445 Lindell Boulevard, in the shadow of the Cathedral Basilica, or the New Cathedral as locals refer to it, sits a building famous for its mid-20th century architecture and round shape, designed to mimic the round features of its larger next-door neighbor. That building is the former chancery of the Archdiocese of St. Louis, which opened in 1961. In the 2000s, most of the offices of the Archdiocese of St. Louis moved out of the Roundhouse, as it is commonly called, to the Cardinal Regali Center in Shrewsbury. Over the years, many archdiocesan offices have called the unique structure home, now including its current tenant, Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of St. Louis. At the dedication, Catholic Charities President Teresa Ruzica said the new, more prominent location will help them do more to further their mission. This newly renovated space offers new opportunities to better serve the community and our federated agencies through training facilities, meeting and innovation rooms, and areas dedicated to helping our clients. We are going to be able to accomplish so much more. Ultimately, this new building will help us in our mission of serving those in need, especially the poor and the vulnerable, working to improve social conditions for all, and calling others in the church and the community to do the same. This new location is important because despite being one of the largest social services organizations in the state of Missouri, Teresa says she regularly hears from people who aren't familiar with Catholic Charities. Too many times over the last two years, people have said to me, you know, I've heard of Catholic Charities, but I don't really know what you do. And many people also don't know that we are actually a ministry of the Archdiocese. 
and we have been around for over 103 years. Building on that century-long legacy, this past year alone, 1,500 employees of the eight agencies that make up the Catholic Charities Federation helped over 148,000 people in the 11 counties of the Archdiocese of St. Louis. Those eight agencies include St. Patrick Center, St. Martha's Hall, Queen of Peace Center, Mary Grove, Good Shepherd Children and Family Services, Cardinal Ritter Senior Services, Catholic Family Services, and St. Francis Community Services. Although each agency specializes in providing a different form of assistance, they are dedicated to one mission. We, along with the over 6,000 volunteers, are dedicated to serving men, women, and children who do not have enough to eat, who do not have a place to call home, who lack adequate education, employment, or housing, who suffer trauma, abuse, and neglect, who see depression every day or loneliness, or who just struggle to make it each day. After the dedication ceremony, I caught up with Teresa to talk about the new location. We know that we have more visibility in this space. We will get more people coming to us um, versus down the street. It looked like a regular house, if you will. Uh, but we know that um, God blesses us each and every day, and he's blessed us with this space. And so now this is our home and we will treasure it um, and do God's work in it. So this will really help you uh, advance the mission of Catholic Charities and, and do your job better in serving the people, right? Absolutely. Uh, you know, we have a challenge like many other organizations in getting the word out about the good work that we do. And so this certainly does give us uh, more visibility on Lindell, right next to the cathedral. And uh, we know that with the sign that just got put in yesterday, people know that we're here now and uh, they'll be finding us even more so than before. As if moving to a prominent new location wasn't enough, I wanted to know if there was anything else exciting going on at Catholic Charities. So people may have heard on the news about the new Biddle Housing Opportunity Center, St. Patrick's Center is involved with. Um, they are going to be overseeing the programs there and partnering with Saints Peter and Paul. Uh, they are going to be running the shelter. So that's you know brand new in the last month or two. We've launched Pathways to Progress earlier this year. Um, that is really our initiative to stay with families for a longer period of time, for probably two to four years, and help bring them to resources, connect them to resources, help them develop skills, build financial assets, assets and whatever else we can do to help them get to a better life where they will essentially walk out of poverty. St. Louis Review reporter Joe Kenny covered the Biddle Housing Opportunity Center when it opened in August. To find that article and more information, just search for Biddle at stlouisreview.com. So instead, I wanted to learn more about Pathways to Progress. I spoke with Tyrone Ford, Director of Service Integration at Catholic Charities, who oversees the program. Tyrone explained that despite the vast array of services provided by Catholic Charities for people from womb to tomb of every background, education, race, and creed, there seemed to be something missing. Surprisingly, there were no services that offered real long-term case management um, where they had a, a person that would work with them to help build tools um, or develop tools that they would need to actually become self-sustaining. Having identified where the needs were, Research was now key to figuring out how to address those needs. And so we began to look at where could Catholic Charities improve our service delivery? What part of the population is missing or does not have access to services? And as we began to do our research, we spent about 14 months or so 
looking at the region, looking at the St. Louis region, the 11 counties of the archdiocese that we serve, and looked at what was needed, what was missing, what population went underserved. And what we began to quickly realize is that there are about seven or eight zip codes listed in North County that have some extreme high rates of poverty. And once we began doing our research, we noticed that part of the reason is that there was just a lack of available services to that population. Um, we thought, well, what could Catholic Charities do? And so uh, our brainchild or sort of Pathways to Progress uh, came as a result of our president, Teresa Rizika, uh, who um, said, hey, let's take the lead in reducing poverty uh, and, and stabilizing families in North County. Uh, and let's look at some zip codes based on census tracts, based on some other data that we found uh, with high rates of poverty, and particularly generational poverty. So we looked at dropout rates. Uh, we looked at crime rates. We looked at um, those that are below the poverty line living in North County and looked at the correlation of that data and decided that we would create a program that was a little different than what was existing. With Pathways to Progress now a concrete idea, they needed tangible goals and a plan of action for the program. Our goal is to create a pathway for families to increase their ability to live safe, productive, and sustainable lives. We want to educate and empower families to make effective decisions that's going to positively impact their future. Uh, we essentially want to help them move towards economic stability. That's the overall goal of the program. Uh, we do this uh, by some key things. Uh, we provide long-term case management uh, with families for a period of two to four years. Um, we have a community uh, partner base um, that's designed to have wraparound services that include things like utility assistance and prescription assistance, um, employment readiness training, home repair, um, scholarships to Catholic schools, um, health care and affordable health insurance, uh, and child care services as well. Those community partners Tyrone mentioned who provide the wraparound services include the Society of St. Vincent de Paul, the Urban League, Community Action Agency of St. Louis, the Today and Tomorrow Educational Foundation, St. Louis County Department of Public Health, and the YWCA. St. Francis Community Services will be handling the case management services. Tyrone calls coordinating all these services a holistic approach. Let's come together. Let's build a team around these people that are in need, people in poverty, poor people, um, people that are vulnerable, underserved population, and let's do it together. So we call that holistic approach um, to, to services. And so we're not recreating the wheel. We're just uh, grieving the wheel to make it roll a little smoother. Tyrone also says they're taking steps to ensure the program remains accountable and does what it's supposed to do. We have a, a community advisory council that is compiled of local teachers, business owners, residents in North County, which is the area that we're serving, North County, as they've been listed as the highest rates of poverty uh, in, the, in the St. Louis region. Um, and then we're going to evaluate the program. We're going to use um, St. Louis University as well as the University of Notre Dame. And they're going to look at this model to see if by changing how we do uh, business with the population, does it really help to make so for sustainable change uh, in, that, in that area that we're serving. One of the defining features of Pathways to Progress, and part of why Tyrone thinks the program will be successful, is the long-term case management which will be longer than other similar services. Long-term case management has generally been capped at six months, 12 months. We understand in the community that that's not really long enough 
Um, that's why poverty continues to rise, is that the services and the resources need a longer period of time with these families. Uh, and so we aim to do long-term case management where we embed a licensed, uh, trained individual with families to help them make effective decisions that's going to help them sort of move towards economic independence. If you're wondering why something like this hasn't been done before, it's simply because it's expensive. For each person or family in a system like Pathways to Progress, case managers, social workers, and other experts have to be employed. So to be good stewards of resources, Catholic Charities decided to sign memos of understanding with those community partners mentioned earlier. Those agreements allow each organization to focus on what they do best and provide the services they are most equipped to handle, and to do so while keeping the flow of information open. Catholic Charities will be the central entity coordinating individualized plans for the Pathways members. And they're called members, not clients. So we collect all the information and forward that information on uh, so that the client doesn't have to retell their story because it re-traumatizes that client every time they have to tell their history, their story. So we collect that information so that they don't have to. And we walk through them, uh, through that system with them so they don't feel alone. They don't feel like, you know, here I go again, you know, being met, being met with resistance um, or having difficulty accessing the services that are needed. Tyrone says in addition to having identified a particular segment of the population and offering long-term resources for the members, Pathways is unique because they have had committed community partners from the start and the program is going to be evaluated on an ongoing basis. And that will help the program move from talk to action. Let's not just talk about it. Let's figure out if we change how we did it, will poverty decrease? Will families be strengthened? Will neighborhoods be safer? Uh, will graduation rates in, improve? Um, we know that what we've been doing uh, has not necessarily moved the needle on poverty. Uh, and we aim to do that um, by our research partners looking at it and saying, okay, Tyrone, here's something you can do better. Here's something that you can, uh, that you're doing good that you can improve upon. Uh, and so we will take that information as we go and make adjustments to the initiative so that it's more effective. Those are sort of similar things that, you know, set us apart from other programs. Pathways was introduced in late March of 2016 through a soft launch, mainly as the community partners in the project started taking in members, and they will continue to grow over the next few years. It is a pilot initiative, as I mentioned earlier. It is being studied. It is, you know, it is going to be evaluated to make sure it's effectiveness and that kind of thing. And so we're being very strategic in how we approach it. We want to get everything right the first time. Uh, and so we're starting off very small with just 30 in the first year. So we're at, uh, we're at about 15 or so families right now, um, and we'll have the next 15 uh, by the end of the year. Um, as we ramp up. We spent the first few months of the program just getting our feet wet, getting the policy and procedures um, together, uh, and we're in the middle of the Council on Accreditation. We're in the middle of the COA process, and so we wanted to make sure that all of our policies were written according to our accrediting body. Uh, and so we're very diligent in that. Um, we had to put the right people in place, find a location, all that kind of stuff. So we've had about 60 or 65 actual inquiries, meaning referrals, people that have come through, and of that 65, we, we average about you know, we're 15 or so. But we aim to do 30 in year one, an additional 45 in year two, and an additional 60 in year three. And then we will cap ourselves at about 135 families a year. Um, 
when we get to year three, and then we should be ongoing from there. Um, obviously, as the program expands, as funding allows, we will expand that number past 135, but we, we hope to do um, scale-up um, as the years go on. To keep the numbers in that manageable range during the rollout, the process for an individual or a family to get into the Pathways program isn't easy. It is a rigorous process. We don't want, uh, we want people to be committed to changing their lives. So we're not just taking those that meet criteria for other services. So if, if you're homeless and, and, and that, we have agencies that do that. We're, and we're an agency that's, that's designed for the living, working poor, um, or, or, or those that are not necessarily working, but those that are struggling. They, they have a household, they may have lost their job. Um, but we serve a unique niche in those that are living you know, below the poverty level, but they're not yet homeless. Uh, and so we want to prevent that um, that homelessness. A lot of the clients are kind of perpetual, uh, habitual users of the system, uh, where they go from agency to agency seeking resources, and they're not really having any long, sustainable change. And so one of the things that we don't do is you, you can't access the, the immediate basic needs without making a commitment to long-term change. We want our clients to really be prepared so that as we teach them these skills, as they develop these, these skills, as the resources um, become really available to them, that they take all of this and they learn how to self-sustain, as we call it, um, where they can pay their utilities on time, they can handle their transportation, they can take care of their household, um, they can manage illness and that sort of thing. And that's what we're teaching them to do. Surprisingly, he has heard a little bit of criticism about the work Catholic Charities does. But Tyrone has something for any naysayers to think about. Name me one person that got to where they are, they are on their own. Name me one. You know, uh, it takes the help of uh, people that you know, um, even if those that are in the working community, um, if you, it's all about who you know. Uh, and so there's very few people that got to where they are on their own. Uh, even if you're working, you, you had to go to school, you had to have help. You either got a loan or you had to work or, or your grandfather loaned you $1,000 to start your business uh, or whatever. Everybody had to have help. The difference is this is a neglected population. This is a population of people who didn't necessarily have the opportunity um, to have that help. We, we have clients who have already come to us and saying, look, I am ready to get off public assistance. I don't want to be on food stamps or, or TANF for the rest of my life. I want help with learning how to work um, on my own. I want help with learning how to educate my children, how to make sure that I have adequate transportation, um, how to make sure that if I do get sick, I'm not utilizing ER services when I can see my primary doctor and that sort of thing. And that's exactly what we're here to do is to help them help themselves. Um, everyone that comes in has to show us a level of commitment. And so we do treatment plans and case management plans with them to lay out goals and objectives for them to accomplish and for us to help them accomplish them. But they're going to have some skin in the game as well because part of this program is uh, building that character, building the decision-making uh, through workshops uh, with them that's going to help them learn how to be better people um, with regard to how they make decisions. Um, but also how to prepare for when or if you lose your job, how to prepare for that illness, how to prepare for that kid that's turning five that has to go to school and how to get them there and, and that sort of thing. So it's not just about people that are poor need to, you know, the, the age old pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Well, they would have to have had boots to do that. It's our job. It's what God and faith calls us to do. 
um, to help those in need, and that's what we're doing. Uh, and we quite quite agree that perhaps not, they do not need to be on government assistance um, in order to do that, and that government assistance is a way um, to help those in need, but it should be on a temporary basis. Of course, it is Catholic charities, so our shared faith undoubtedly plays a big part in why Tyrone and others do this work. Here's how he explains it. Being Catholic is what calls us to do this work. We're not serving Catholics because they're Catholic. We're serving people that are poor, um, and that's because the Catholic faith calls, calls us to do so. Um, you do not have to be Catholic to, to receive these services. We're, we're just serving those in need. If you're wondering how to get more information about Pathways to Progress or get involved in the program, you can give them a call or send an email. The phone number for Pathways is 314-269-5055. That's area code 314 269 5055. And the email is pathways at ccstl.org. That's pathways at ccstl.org. The program is based out of St. Anne's Parish in Normandy at 7530 Natural Bridge Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63121. And to bring this segment full circle, I had to ask Tyrone how important the new location on Lindell will be for Catholic charities going forward. Having a prominent location allows people for recognition of Catholic charities, for one, and the great work we do, but also allows us to reach more people, not just recognition for us, but for us to be sort of visualized by other people as a source of refuge where they can come, get access to services, and provide an opportunity for them to access our aid agencies, including our new initiative, Pathways to Partners. Well, as we just heard from Catholic Charities, they're doing a lot of work to help the poor, especially with their new program, Pathways to Progress. Uh, Another way that um, people like to try to help the poor is through the government, and we are currently in an election cycle. Election day is, uh, if if you're listening to this, um, uh, sort of the week it comes out, uh, just a couple weeks away. Uh, Obviously, whatever's on the internet lives forever, so you might be listening to this (laughs) some (laughs) other time. But uh, election uh, election day is... um, just a couple weeks away, and uh, one of the presidential debates was recently held in St. Louis. Dave Luking with the St. Louis Review is here in the Catholic Gateway Podcast studio with me, and he uh, has a story in the St. Louis Review dated October 17th through 23rd as sort of a follow-up to the debate. So, Dave, uh, thanks for coming back on. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. I was, uh, you know, when the debate debate happening here it's a pretty big deal they've had five out of the last uh, seven presidential presidential elections they've had debates in st louis and with it being at washington u i thought well there had to be some catholic student center students that actually went there and there were a few of them and i uh, just uh, wanted to touch base with them and get their impressions on uh, the the debate yeah well i mean like you said a huge huge deal i mean uh, this happens seemingly every election cycle. We get this uh, the spotlight focused on St. Louis for that one night. Um, so, what was the experience that these students had then? What did, when you're talking to them, uh, what was it like for them to be part of this? Well, uh, I've talked to uh, two people, uh, Candace Ada and also Chuck Holmes. And Chuck is a graduate uh, student, doctoral student, and uh, uh, Candace is a senior in history. So she's a history major, and she understood right away the historical significance of it. And just she was very honored to be a part of uh, seeing the debate, as uh, as was Chuck. Um, 
And the, the, it's funny, the, the thing we talked about most, and we talked about it initially, maybe that's why it seems like we talked about it most, but we talked about it initially about the setup, the feeling of them being there. They were at, you know, Washington University's Fieldhouse where they play basketball and where they play volleyball. And here they were at this, you know, jumbo studio, half-court basketball was a half-court studio. And so they they really... They talked uh, about the production values of it, uh, you know, the clay lights, the uh, backdrops, and and things of that nature. And I thought it was funny when uh, Chuck was comparing it to like the musical Hamilton, where <laughs> they start debating uh, Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton in rap, you know, rap yeah, uh -huh. music and. Hillary and uh, Donald didn't know a rap. They didn't break out into rap, but he, he said it, it reminded him of that kind of thing, like a, a production or, mm -hmm. or a play. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's really, I mean, I, I saw some, some preliminary photos of like uh, some of the news stations got out there and covered the, the setup. And yeah, I mean, it really is. It's just a giant TV set mm -hmm. plopped down in the middle of this gym, which is, you know, you, wouldn't, you didn't see it on TV. You couldn't yeah. tell, but yeah, the people, people there definitely could tell. Um, so what, what were some of their observations then about um, beyond, I guess, sort of the production? Uh, what was, as, a, as Catholic students, what did they Yeah, we, uh, that was the thing we talked about at the end. Uh, what, what was the Catholic perspective? What, what did they draw from the debate? And uh, it was interesting. Uh, n neither of them, neither of their responses really focused on issues or, you know, a Catholic issue of social social justice or anything like that, but uh, Candace talked about the candidates seemingly want to reconcile and uh, seek forgiveness forgiveness from the American people, and you know that was kind of interesting because as Catholics we're called to forgive and accept, you know, and meet meet people where they are, which is what uh, Pope Francis has said. So. You know, it, that was inter interesting to hear uh, from her. And then Chuck talked about um, the humanity, humanness of seeing, you know, political, important political figures, former President Clinton, uh, Julie, Rudy Giuliani was in the crowd. And it's funny, I said, oh, Rudy Giuliani, I didn't know he was here. And then Chuck said, well, I think that was him. It was either him or someone looked, who looked much like him. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's it's sort of the thing that uh, I have done at the, at the review. I've done stories on consecrated life and priesthood. That the, these are men and women. They put their pants on like everybody else, one leg at a time. And the politicians are the same way. They're they're just people like us uh, at a very high, they're performing and functioning at a very uh, high level, important positions. But they're they're basically people with hopes and fears and and all those things and. You know, and, and he said the important thing as Catholics is that we need to realize that every now and then yeah. that they're they're more than you know somebody we see on TV or they're more than a production at Washington U University. They're regular people. Yeah. Well, I know you know you in your former work uh, covering the Blues, you probably saw that a lot too. Obviously, a different sort of uh, importance level, but yeah. you know the athletes—they're human too. They have emotions right. and, and yeah. Things. It's they're just you know regular people like everybody else. They just play hockey. I covered hockey, so it, it was a whole different thing than what what I saw than what an average fan saw. Right. Well, and I'd also too I think um, probably should remind us that we have to 
pray for for these people. Uh, oh yeah, both the candidates for president and, and any other office, mm-hmm. and the people who are currently in those offices. Uh, right, because they um, they have a lot of decisions to weigh, uh, and. You know, Christ also calls us to pray for our enemies, right? So if you exactly, so if you disagree with a candidate or an issue or, or whatever, you just need to say a prayer for that person. Exactly. That's all. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that actually kind of brings up another point we need to talk about: is is kind of as Catholics, we really have to form our consciences to to understand these issues and uh, really be attuned to um, what God is asking us to do with this responsibility, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's like the, uh, Candace, uh, talked about, you know, we have to exercise the voting muscle, <laughs> you know, and, but we have to remain true to our Catholic, uh, values. And, uh, Archbishop Carlson uh, wrote the series of columns on, on, uh, voting and basically discerning and praying. It, it's like almost, a Praying is like a, dis- a cliche, like one game at a time and things mm, of that yeah. nature. But it's so true. You have to do it. I mean, it's got to be part of your plan, and it has to be part of your plan in deciding these issues and these voters. And it's a well, all, all elections are important, but it seems like this one is more important than than all the rest uh, that have gone before. It's very different than any different. election cycle before, right. but uh, so. They have you have to prayerfully uh, figure out what you're going to do. Well, and those uh, columns you mentioned from Archbishop are on uh, archstl.org/vote. Uh, so anyone who wants to find those can can find those there. Um, there is a booklet. I don't know if the booklet will be available widely or not. Um, yeah, will be in booklet form though as well. I've seen. I saw. I was at actually at Cardinal our Cardinal Glennon Kenrick Seminary. And I saw the booklets there. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah, okay. and, so they and are the booklets out. are good because uh, I know the USCCB uh, came out with this big, long, uh, you know, farming your conscience. Yeah, faithful, faithful citizenship. Right. And yeah. Faithful citizenship. Yeah, yeah, it was long. So mm-hmm. it, it, was, it would be hard to wade through all of that. But the Archbishop Carlson thing, in fact, I, I was involved in the editing of it. It's not that long. It's like uh, maybe eight pages or something like that. So it's it's... And it's small. It's uh, like a notebook size. Yeah. So stick it in your pocket. Yeah, and, it's yeah. easy to look through. I mean, even if you're looking through it on a computer mm-hmm. PDF, you can go through it pretty quickly. That's good. Well, and and uh, not only that, you know, the booklet's one resource, but um, another thing the archdiocese is doing uh, for first-time voters in Catholic high schools, those you know, 18-year-old seniors, uh, they're having a forum on October 20th. Uh, to uh, kind of help these students form their consciences for the first time to yeah. partake in the, the de- democratic process. So a really neat event that's going to take place on the 20th. Um, I think uh, I think we'll, we'll see more about that in the St. Louis Review. And, uh, and actually on this podcast, I'm going to do an episode mm. on that as well. So, awesome. Yeah, that's, I mean, I'd like to go to one of those as, a, as an older dude. But it's so important to get the young people involved and uh, a student at uh, – St. Vincent de Paul in Perryville, Levi Krauss, he did a, like a, a seminar, a couple of them on voter registration, uh, Catholic ad, uh, prism and voting, you know, Catholic lens. And that, that, that was huge for, uh, he, you know, it was geared toward 18-year-olds. Are, and actually 18-year-olds, 
now they're in college, so they're off, off to school, right. and they're getting bombarded with all these contrary messages. So they, they have to remember their Catholic roots. And what uh, uh, Candace said, you have to remember your Catholic sensibilities yeah, when you definitely. vote. Well, and uh, the article on Levi, mm-hmm. uh, you wrote that back in, I think it was February or so. Yeah, February or May. Yeah, so. it was right around uh, after uh, Catholic Schools Week. Yeah. So listeners to this podcast may remember that, but if not, go check it out uh, and find it online, com, and you can look for uh, Levi Krauss or, or one of Dave Luking's stories. I think the, the moral of this story, uh, the lesson all of us Catholics need to take to heart is, uh, you know, Christ is... Um, is the king, right? King of the universe. And we need to trust in his providence and, uh, and just continue to pray hard, I think, because uh, um, no matter what happens, uh, there's going to be a lot of division, I think, in this country, um, regardless of who wins the election. Exactly. So. And it's important what uh, m- one of his columns, Archbishop Carlson, said that the day after election, Christ will still be king. So, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of puts it in perspective. It's a refreshing thought. Yes. For sure. Yes. Well, Dave, thank you so much for coming on the Catholic thank Gateway you, podcast sir. again. Yep. Enjoyed it. Well, here we are, yet another week of the St. Louis Review and the Catholic Gateway podcast. And uh, Stephen Kemp is back in the office. Wasn't here last week. Uh, Stephen, what were you doing? I was at uh, Pointer Institute for Journalism. I was taking a, a newsroom leadership conference, and I had a lot of great ideas, and I'm sure my staff is excited to hear what I have to say <laughs> to them. sure. Well, you, uh, you encountered a little bit of weather while you were there, right? Certainly. There was, there was a little bit of a thing called Hurricane Matthew. Luckily, we were in Tampa, so we weren't, uh, we weren't affected by it. But we certainly watched an awful lot of Weather Channel, and you know, we, we saw a lot of people you know, abandoning the East Coast for the West Coast. So we, we, get, we got a lot of friends uh, going to the airport. <laughs> That's good. Well, we're glad you're back safe and, and here and uh, back uh, hard at work with the St. Louis Review. So what, yeah. uh, what can readers expect uh, this coming week and, and in the future? Well, one of the things that we've been working on for quite a while is our senior living section. And it's talking about ways that uh, old, older Catholics can live their faith in retirement and volunteering and other things. So we have a lot of good, good examples of, of that. You know, we have a story on Vin Scully, which baseball fans are, you know, might, might be really interested in how he, he would lecture at mass at Dodger Stadium uh, on home, home games, uh, home Sundays. So that, and just as a side note, I heard he had a, a rosary CD that came out recently. That is true. That is mentioned in the story that there is a rosary CD featuring Vin Scully. So if you're interested that's, in that, absolutely. That's pretty cool. Yes. So we, we've, we've been working on that for, for quite a while, and that was our 16-page special section that was in the issue dated October 17th and 23rd. Um, another thing that we worked on in that same paper was a kind of an election primer. Obviously, the election is coming up, and so we had some some advice from Archbishop Carlson on how to form conscience before voting and the importance of that. Uh, it also talks about his... Uh, his compilation of columns from a few weeks ago that were published in the St. Louis Review, and we kind of compiled it into a um, into a booklet called Lens of Faith that gives advice for Catholics on how to form their conscience. That can be found at archscl.org slash vote, and I encourage everybody to check that out. Yeah, especially in these last couple of weeks before the election, uh, people are really starting to pay attention now and, and want to know how uh, 
how they should form their conscience to, to be able to vote properly. Certainly, and so. it's, it's a requirement of all Catholics, of all, of, frankly, of all Americans. Yeah, definitely. Anything else we should look forward to? We have, we have a lot of things coming down the pipeline. You know, nothing, we've gotten kind of our big special sections out of the way, so now we just have some of our typical stories going on, and uh, we're looking forward to, to a lot of those. But, you know, with the election is one of our big ones, and then eventually, not too long, I know this sounds crazy to think about, but Advent is not that far away, so we're starting to think about that. Yeah. We'll be here before we know it. Well, Stephen, thank you so much. Thank you, Gabe. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Catholic Gateway Podcast. We always welcome story tips and ideas for the podcast. Just send them to communications at archstl.org. That's communications at archstl.org. Make sure to connect with us on social media to stay up to date with what's going on here in the Archdiocese of St. Louis. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for Archdiocese of St. Louis. We're on Twitter, at ArchSTL is our handle there, at ArchSTL. And we're on Instagram, at CatholicSTL. And you should follow the St. Louis Review there on Facebook. Also, Twitter and Instagram under the handle, at St. Louis Review. That's S.T. Lewis Review. The Catholic Gateway Podcast is a production of the Archdiocese of St. Louis. I'm your host, Gabe Jones. We hope you'll join us again next time here in the Gateway to the West, the Rome of the West, Catholic St. Louis. Catholic St. Louis.